Amen. Take your Bible and let's look at uh, the doctor's gospel, chapter uh, 13, uh, verses 18 to 21, as we look at the next uh, 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 section of uh, this gospel of certainty. Remember, Dr. Luke wrote these things that you may be certain of the things of Christ in his life, in his ministry, his death, his resurrection, uh, as he uh, indicates that in his prologue uh, to this. I've entitled the message today, Small Beginnings. Small Beginnings. Uh, in reading uh, the financial page, and I grew up in a business family, so it's second and after working business for a long time, I always do that anyway, just to kind of sense what's going on. I read recently uh, that uh, Apple Computer is the most valuable company in the world. Did you know that? Apple Computer, and I mean, they have uh, certainly captured Steve Jobs, no longer with us, but has captured the imagination uh, with a whole line of products that uh, are not cheap, and, uh, but eventually a lot of folks end up going uh, that direction, uh, and uh, they, uh, they are now the largest capitalized company in the public sector in the world. In other words, you take the stock price, times the number of shares that are issued, just multiply that, and you'll discover that it's somewhere around 500 or $600 billion, the capital worth of Apple Computer. It changes moment by moment. I realize that with the stock fluctuation. And the article suggested that Apple Computer might be the first company in the history of the world to reach $1 trillion in its, uh, its uh, worth. Now, that's rather amazing. I mean, to me, it's amazing. I mean, computers are nice and all that kind of thing. Don't we love our phones and our laptops and everything else? But, uh, you know, you think of a, a company like Exxon Mobil, they really make stuff and develop stuff and products from the, all of that, and they're all over the world and all that, that now Apple is, is past them, GE and others in capitalization. It's amazing. Now, who would ever thought 50 years ago, two guys in a garage, did you catch that? Two guys in a garage tinkering. Don't, don't discourage your kids if they want to tinker with stuff like this. You know, you may be the beneficiary of it. There they are, two guys in a garage. Can you see them? Get in there. You know, their mother, it's dinner time. Ah, we're, they're tinkering around with electronic devices. Who would ever imagine that two guys in a garage would be the beginnings of a company that is the largest in the history uh, of publicly traded companies in the world. Apple Computer. Wow. Well, in the text, uh, Jesus has, uh, as you know from last time, instantly, instantly healed the woman with a bad back. Remember, she was bent over and in the synagogue, and the Lord saw her, and he called her over, and he touched her. It was a very tender uh, setting and moment, and the Lord... Uh, 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 healed her instantly. I think it's important for us to underline again that the Creator God instantly healed her. Timing is the backbone of good Bible study. Never forget that. I mean, there's some that like to play fast and loose with the time element. Well, you, you know, whether it's creation or the ages of the patriarch, oh, they're funny numbers, not really. You just threw your Bible out. Remember that, not one jot, one tittle. And I'm simple enough to believe the whole thing cover to cover. And right, Mark, even as Stanley said, probably even the maps too are the inspired word of God. So if God said it, who are we to like? We just got off the bus a few years ago. Dottie, you were 86 years ago. I did check with Ron. I wanted to find out who the veteran was here. And Ron with pride, not pride, but he was happy to tell me he was 88. <laughs> And uh, we miss him at men's fraternity when he tell all the bomber stories of World War II. I mean, that was almost more exciting to the men than hearing the word of God. Not really, but even I was utterly captivated <laughs> listening to Ron's great stories. Wow. Where in the world was I? Wow. I got off on that. What was it? Inerrancy. That's right. Instantly. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Instantly. She was instantly. What? You, you think it was like five weeks later, they, they would have thought like, uh, maybe she got better on her own. I think they would have thought that. Don't you think that? And, I, and out at the sea, right, with a storm and, oh, Lord, we're going to go down here. These are like seasoned men on the water. They're not like little, oh, it's tipsy. No, and storm going down. The Lord rebukes the what? Instantly. 
You see, it, that timing is the backbone of good Bible study. Timing. It was three days uh, before the resurrection. Not like, well, that's figurative. It could be in their thoughts. No. Three days, as they counted days, parts of the day. Three days, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Important. Instantly. And we saw that. And then and Jesus is, is rebuked by the leader of the synagogue, right? We don't do those kind of things on the Sabbath. They twisted Scripture. What? By forbidding acts of mercy. That means kindness. In other words, you can't be kind to people on the Sabbath. How screwed up is that? I mean, reread your Bible again. God is kind to us every single day. And to make these little rules that, oh, that's the Sabbath day, you know, and Jesus' point was, listen, you're kinder to your dumb animals than you are to people. Have you noticed that? Have you looked around this week? People are that way. I, I was taking note of that. People love their animals and their parakeets and everything else, and they're they like, wow, they, they you know, that... And it, they'll run over people. Hey, that light turned red ten, two seconds ago. <clears throat> we just, same to you, fella. We treat, we, we have that, that, there's a bent within us. And, there are, and people are made in God's wonderful image. Animals are not as, as wonderful, and, and they fill out life uh, to, to, and teach us about God, but they're not people. The question on their minds was, after seeing this woman healed, how could such a tiny beginning of God's kingdom if it is in fact that, be the glorious kingdom promised in the Bible where God's rule is universal. I mean, they were confused. There they are in the middle. It doesn't even identify where they are in Galilee at the synagogue. It's unnamed. And then they see a flash of the glory and the power of God. She's healed. The Lord uh, corrects their thinking. He knows what they're thinking. And a lot, a lot of times we say, well, Socrates was the great question. You know, like he'd raise all these questions. You know, you can ask five questions, drive people nuts. Just keep asking them the same, uh, and how's that? And how's that? And why is that? And you just drive to insanity. The Lord knew what was on their mind, and so he raises the question. What is the nature of the kingdom of God? They're thinking it. I mean, they're up in obscurity. This little thing here, is this, how could this, this can't be the God's kingdom. We were under the uh, impression that when David's greater son comes, this Messiah, it's going to be instantly, gloriously, the Romans will be forever wiped out and, and ushers this kingdom. And, uh, okay, we just saw that. That's amazing. How does that fit together? That doesn't make sense. You see, they were confused. And if they were confused at that moment of the healing of that woman in the synagogue, just think how much more confused they were going to be in a few days, so to speak, when he's beaten, beyond marred, and nailed to the cross to die a criminal death. They're going to, if, they're, if they're in the dark now, just wait a few days. It's going to be terrible darkness in trying to figure out how could this possibly be the kingdom of God? How could this be the absolute sovereign reign of Almighty God on earth? You see, they're trying to put the puzzles together. Do you like to put puzzles together? When Faithy's mom would come, she'd often, uh, during the weeks that they would stay, she'd set up a puzzle on the table downstairs, and these one of these, like, with tiny little pieces, you know? It, I like the kids' puzzles because, you know, the pieces are like, you know, like, Eight of them, and you're, you're, there's like thousands of them in there, and the colors, and, the, and my kids would help. Hey, here, Grandma, here's a little piece. And in the, the course of the time that she visited, she would finish the puzzle. It was rather amazing. Just laid out on a little game table, uh, that kind of thing. This is a huge puzzle. And he anticipates it. He knows what they're thinking, and he is going to teach them and us the nature of this kingdom. And, and, and so on. Well, that his coming arrest, beatings, crucifixion would all be a part of this horrible beginning, but it would be the kingdom of God. How would that be? How could that be? Wow. And people are going to be amazed at the nature of this kingdom. Well, and to, to, to instruct them after having raised the question, and he, and he raises it in verse 18, then he says it again before the second parable. Yeah, let's read our text in, in Luke's Gospel 13, verse 18 to 21. And he, that's Jesus, said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his garden, 
And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? And he answers, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Well, small beginnings. There are two parables then that encourage us by knowing that God's kingdom will continue to grow until it's utterly completed. And it will be completed. You know what God does, he always finishes? You know, if you know him, if you're a trophy of his grace, you're a product of his work, it's not you holding on, you would have let to go the first day, we're so utterly sinful, it's God working in us, changing us, and he will complete what he's done. He'll complete the church, he'll complete the kingdom as a part of the kingdom of God. He is a completer, not like your list. As much as I say that, I'm a list maker, and I love the satisfaction of crossing out. Job done, this is done, that's done. Hey, at the end of the day, feeling pretty good, right? Uh, if I have more cross-offs than I do uncross-offs, some of you aren't that way, but some of you are like, preach it, I understand that, I'm that way. <laughs> Hit, the Lord's list is always crossed off and completed. He never says like we do, well, I didn't know it was going to take that long. I really, really, I, I didn't know that was going to happen. God never said, I didn't know. He's omniscient, holy God, all-knowing. His plan and program is right on course. And even the kingdom, even the small beginnings here, that doesn't look like much, but wait and you see what's going to happen here. So he tells two little parables. They're well-known, the mustard seed and the leaven, and uh, to help us understand. So he uses, the Lord Jesus uses the garden and the kitchen to make his point. In spite of fierce opposition, God's rule will continue to grow until it's universal in scope, global, around the world. Incidentally, that's what we pray for. Remember when, when the uh, disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, and they said, our, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray for this very kingdom that will is right on schedule, not one day behind, and it's moving towards that great culmination uh, in, in, the, in the days to come. Well, the two parables. The first one is the mustard seed, verses 18 and 19, teaches us of the extensive growth of God's kingdom, that it's far-reaching. Now, it's hard to imagine looking at this small seed that it would have such growth potential. Jesus connects the, uh, what he is saying here with what went on before in the synagogue with the word therefore. Look at verse 18, and Jesus said, therefore... Now, whenever you see a therefore, it's good Bible study uh, to discover why the word therefore is there for. It's a connective. It's an important connective. And uh, he's going to connect uh, what went on, as I already alluded to, in the synagogue, in the healing of this woman bent over with a back issue, instantly healed. He's going to connect that with the kingdom, and he's going to do it by teaching of these two parables. And so that, uh, that ties it together. He knew what they were thinking, and so he raises the question, what should I compare it? Jesus goes to the garden. He uses the mustard seed as a comparable object. Now, it was the smallest garden variety seed used in Israel in that day. It was one millimeter, very tiny, in diameter. Now, there are some that will attack the, uh, the, uh, the inerrancy of the Bible. They'll say, well, that was wrong, that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. There are some seeds that are smaller than that, therefore the Bible's wrong, therefore it's not trustworthy. But uh, that's uh, wrong uh, in that day and at that hour and in Israel where he's speaking, and that uh, they all knew that. In fact, the word as small as a mustard seed was used proverbially. Proverbially, <laughs> easy for you to say. Uh, it was used as something very tiny, right? And it came from that. And in that day, that was, as they did their horticulture, and they're, and they're growing that mustard seed. Uh, and I've seen the plants there just on the south side of the Sea of Galilee. They look like shrub brushes and bushes, but they can get v v quite large, especially as they're cultivated in a farm setting and not growing wild alongside of the road. And so it is, in fact, the smallest. I remember planting, and some of you are planters and probably out there, 
probably out there early. Usually they say, what, April 1st, you got to get your peas in. You know, they're one of the first to go in. And uh, my father was a little gardener in the latter 15 years of his life, doing multiple crops and a little bit of space in the city. It was kind of funny, but he was so proud of it. And his asparagus and, sp and not spaghetti, strawberries and some other things. But I, I remember uh, planning, uh, he said, you got to help me here. Put the, we're going to put down some carrots here. Just like an engineer, we're going to get multiple crops out this year. Like, it was like a challenge to him. You know? And do you ever look at carrot seed? Carrot seed is like, holy smokes, that is tiny. You ever see that? Little, little carrot seed? That? There's a, you got to kind of put it along. I put them too close, and they, none of them actually matured. So we didn't get anything that year. But, uh, there we'll go. but in that day, this little seed, uh, when you looked at it, uh, and that's uh, the whole point. G number two, Jesus is drawing an implied contrast between the small size of the seed and the size of the bush tree that comes from it. I mean, the tree in one growing season. I mean, that's the point. One growing season. Eight to 10 to 12 to maybe 15 feet. You could almost, you know, like they say, what do you do? I'm watching the grass grow. Well, you know, you're not really, right? But you almost think of mustard. I'm watching the thing grow, you know. Like dandelions are like that. How can you cut the grass? And they're like, they, I think they must, they just like, have you ever noticed that? I always liked them, but Faith never liked them. But uh, the and our neighbors don't like them, so I try and cut them out there. But this mustard seed, you could almost watch it grow. I mean, it, uh, right, right in front of their, their eyes in one season. Hardly what you would expect when looking at that tiny seed. So it is, Jesus is saying, with the kingdom of God. You see, big things grow from small beginnings. And that's exactly what you have here. The kingdom grows because there is the principle of life within its seed. How insignificant it all seemed at the beginning. I mean, just consider, I have on your sheet, just uh, consider Jesus for a moment here. Here's a child uh, conceived out of wedlock in a backwater town. I, was, I mean, it's not, if, you were, if God the Father, to, uh, in the eternal counsels and decrees of God, if you were to arrange the greatest activity in human history, I mean, is that how you would do it? I mean, uh, a, a virgin, Mary, in a backwater town, discovers she's pregnant. You go like, and, and, and more. The child is born in poverty. Obscurity. I mean, one writer writes that the Roman uh, Empire, with all of its advanced technology, road, and communication system, was completely ignorant of the vicinity of God, who was born within their realm. I mean, he was born in obscurity. He was. And until 30, he lived at home running the family business, the carpenter. We have no sign of Joseph in the latter years. We assume by silence that he had died, and Jesus being the oldest was the son of the carpenter. And in those days, the son would follow his father and, um, and uh, the carpenter. Until he's 30 years old, the age of, 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 of uh, recognized manhood. Uh, I know I, I, I'm not taking anything against a bar mitzvah when a young boy is pronounced a man and treated as a man. But at 30, you had to be 30 years old to be a high priest. You had to be 30 years old to be a priest. You had a, I, I think even our Constitution carried that over. Did you notice that? Is it, do you have to be 30 years old to be a United States senator? Anybody know their history? David knows that. David, is that true? 30 years old, yeah. So there's a sense of that. It's transgeneration where you have to have lived a certain period of time to have enough wisdom and at 30. And it's all the way through for the priest at 30 and so on. And so here he is, 30 years old. He's in obscurity. We don't even really what's going, going, what's going on there. This is, hardly, this is hardly really what we would expect. Uh, uh, after a, a rapid rising in national prominence, and there was an initial surge. You notice that? The thousands are following him around. They're feeding uh, those on the side of the hill, Galilee, feeding of the 5,000. He's a traveling itinerant uh, teacher and preacher and miracle worker. And then it comes crashing down. He dies on your sheet. I have a criminal death. He's buried not even in his own tomb, another man's tomb. Who would, who would have looked at the cross of Jesus that day 
Who would have stood there seeing that terrible, awful, bloody sacrifice and said, uh, he is providing salvation for me and for all the world in this? Nobody. I mean, nobody. I mean, it's a picture of small beginnings. Are you kidding? It almost disappears when you think about it. And yet God in his greatness is able to take the weakest, the smallest, the most insignificant and with his grace. And he delights in doing that. That's why he picked Israel. I picked you, Israel, not because you were the greatest, the smartest, the most. You were the opposite. He does that in our life. God has a way of picking what? Not many wise not many noble. There's room at the cross for us, right? Lincoln said God must have loved the common person. He made so many of us. And God delights in doing that. And, and in this whole work of redemption, look at what God has said. It's like looking at a mustard See What could come of this? There can, nothing could come from this. Nothing of any uh, import. And look at the cross. What could come from this? Nothing could come from this. And see, they're thinking, oh, the king has got to come in like the president on Air Force One and this and that. And, and the Lord is saying, no, you got it all wrong. God is so great. He's going to do something you will be amazed at. Amazed. And the mustard seed teaches us of the extensive growth of this kingdom. Even the man's loyal followers are few in number. They're feeble in faith. They deny the Lord. And then they run away. What kind of beginnings is that? Is it the size of a mustard seed? That's the point the Lord is making here. It's an incredible, it staggers the mind to think about it. Who would ever imagine that from this seed, the seed would come God's everlasting kingdom? I say to you, nobody would. Not a single one. You see, D, the mustard seed actually grows large enough, in Jesus' word, to provide safety and shelter for the birds, which are commonly used in Scripture to refer to the nations of the world. We see it used in a lot of places, but Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, the dream he had there, when he is the tree and the birds of the nation would find shelter in that. Uh, the United States has been... Whether we want it or not, we have that mantle of that at this time. Sometimes it's called the world's policeman, right? And, and so there's a problem here. Where are the United States troops? We need help here. Syria's falling apart, crumbling. Where's the United States? They want to find shelter and safety in the governance uh, of America. And that's the way. Korea was uh, finally World War II and other places. The idea of a tree, of a great nation, often that way. And the birds, other nations finding safety in harbor. And the Lord is saying from this little mustard seed, almost total insignificant. You can't imagine what's going to happen. It's going to grow so large and so great that the Gentile nations are going to come and they're going to find safety and lodging and protection. You couldn't figure it out looking at that seed. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the work of the gospel. He's talking about churches. He's talking about all of these things. You could not have figured it out. The point is this kingdom will end up with significant size and a place where, where people of all races can reside comfortably. It will reach the ends of the earth. Thy kingdom come. I love that in the book of Revelation where it talks about what is heaven going to be like. We're all people representing all the nations of the world, all the races, the nationalities, the ethnic, the people groups. They're all going to populate heaven. Isn't that great? You know, that's really the whole book of Acts. Have you ever thought about Dr. Luke wrote as in a, a volume two in his writing. He wrote the book of the Acts. And I, that was a great quiz question. Remember I asked you way at the beginning, who wrote by volume the largest portion of the New Testament? And then we go like, well, I think it was the Apostle Paul. No. Was it John? He wrote a lot. No. Luke, if you count the word in the volume, wrote more of the New Testament, the great, the beloved, than anyone else. And the book of Acts, really, here's the thesis of it, is he explains how the gospel goes from this backwater, despised Palestine obscurity to the center of the world in Rome in 40 years. That's the whole underlying thought of the book of Acts. And, uh, and Paul finally gets there in Rome, doesn't he? 
preaching the gospel, and some in the praetorium court were saved. They had been chained to Paul. And he expresses, and, and we, we see the spread of the gospel going worldwide from this backwater insignificant beginnings. You know, a lot of churches are like that too, aren't they? Aren't they? They, they really are like that. You know, as, as life goes on, I heard one uh, pastor say this week, get ready, you know, your life will be over in about 15 minutes, or it'll seem that way. I go like, oh, that's good, I like that. And then another one I read this week described uh, your life and your marriage life in five days. I go, well, what's this? Five days. It's the day one you meet your spouse. If you're married or going to be married, you meet your spouse. Day two, you get married. Day three, you have your kids. Day four, you meet your grandkids. And day five, they either bury you or you bury her, and you come home to the house for the first time all alone. Five days, that's your marriage. And life goes on, doesn't it? It zips on. It's a wise man or woman that understands and lives in light of it with eternity and value. And we, at this point in time, God has us to be alive. He saved many of us. We have the baton of the gospel. We're to make disciples and to establish churches. And there's a continuity of this kingdom. It's going on for 20 centuries since the resurrection, since Pentecost. And here we are. A lot of times we just think, well, it's just, you know, it's Sunday, and I woke up, and here I am. No, 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 no. We're a connection all the way through, like links in a chain. And Christ is building his church. Get the bigger view, the right view, out of such a tiny beginning. I remember as a boy sitting in our church, and, and I would hear the stories about, uh, it was First Baptist Church, North Tanawanda, and it was a, a, a carpenter's town, a, a timberman's town. A lot of wood was milled, and, and, and a lot of tycoons in that wood business, uh, sawmills uh, and lumberyards and all that. And the church was this old wooden church. It was really beautiful. Be a nightmare to try and maintain the thing. And I remember sitting there looking around, and they tell the story. Oh yeah, the, 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 there was a, a pastor that came up from somewhere, and a group of men, and and they they had a real burden to plant a church in this area, and uh, and they met in different places, and it took a lot of years, and finally, finally uh, on Vanvert Street, uh, God gave a piece of property, and and then bit by bit, and went through the whole story forty years earlier. And here I am, a young boy, I didn't know anything, I'm sitting in the pew looking around, pastors preaching the gospel, and I'm thinking, there's a continuity here. I've, I've received the benefit of some men and women of faith that had a vision for people and sacrifice. I didn't, I'm, I'm just part of the link, and now I'm here, and bit by bit that church grew and grew and and missionaries were sent out to around the world, and, and there are men that are in ministry today, and numbers that went to heaven, and, and there were lives that were ruined and reclaimed, and many boys and girls came to know the gospel. What well, it began with a tiny little beginning. And God added his favor, and people sacrificed and gave. And, I, and I, when I think about for I think about grace the same way. You know, here we are at this point. If the Lord tarries for 30 or 40 years, you know, the young ones, you guys will probably still be here, but the rest will be enjoying heaven. And there'll be others that'll come and say, oh, what was that guy's name? Hey, who was that first pastor? Wasn't it Z? Boy, that's different, you know. And who are those people? And they're like, and they're like they, had, they had a vision, and they had faith, and they had a love for people, and they wanted to get involved and, in the work. And who can say the boys' and girls' lives that will be won through a vacation Bible school, through Sunday school, through the coming years of a little tiny beginning? Oh, it, it excites me when I think about it. I do. And even in the short reign of our 15 minutes, if we live that long, the people that God will bring to us and reclaim their lives as the treasury of the gospel is one in their lives and the advancement of God in our area and around the world and sending out missionaries and pastors and homes changed and little places of heaven on earth, not perfect, we're still in sin, but growing in grace. And isn't that true, what he does in your life too? You think about it on an individual plane. I mean, we're very unlikely people for heaven, aren't we? I mean, we're sinful people, the exceedingly sinfulness of sin. And, and God, the, all of a sudden, it's through a track or a prayer or something on radio or we read something, and, and God begins to draw us. I don't know if you saw that in the paper yesterday, but, uh, or yesterday, I saw it today. Chuck Colson went home to be with the Lord yesterday. 
There's a man that coming out of Watergate was wonderfully saved and used by God for 30-some years with prison ministry fellowship. He was a field general of sorts, and we, we will miss him. He was 80 years old and uh, now in glory. Couldn't be any better off. Look at the lives that were changed through the ministry of the gospel in his life. And I say the same thing is true in your life and mine. I, I used to tell my students, if God has done in my life what he's done, there's hope for all of us. I mean that. And they go, like, oh, that's so funny, prof. No, it's true. It really is true. I was not mainstream in the church. I was periphery. We hardly went. When I was in high school, my brother and I get dropped off, uh, or we would we'd go by for, I was telling the elders the other night, um, so we were growing at our church, and, and we couldn't have the high school uh, in the, we didn't have rooms, so one of the, there's a house right up the corner from the church, and we'd meet in the basement there. Well, my brother and I thought we'd go to your host restaurant, eat French toast during that Sunday school time, and knew what time to get back, and we better be in the pew when mom was sitting there for worship. You know, confession's good. I feel, I, I actually feel, it's, it's a relief, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and, it's, and I was just kind of going along merrily the wrong way, even though God saved me. I, I, that the, I wasn't in the Word. I wasn't, I mean, I showed up Sunday morning. I was doing God a favor, I think, or my dad made me show up, though he never went. Um, but the reach of the gospel was great. And all of a sudden, I began to fall in love with the Lord and love His Word. And God began to change me. Holy smokes, he's changing me, and he continues to do that. And I love him more and more and more. And it began with a little boy seven like this. Teared up because I was a sinner and I knew it, and God saved me. And what was the potential of that? It's, I say it's in your life too. The little seed of a mustard seed and the extensive growth. Who can say what God's doing? And all our lives are different. He's weaving it all together to be an, an influence for the glory of God in the gospel. That's what life is about. Don't get caught up in the monopoly game nonsense. It all goes into the box and it all gets put away and that stuff doesn't count for anything. It is loving the Lord, living for him, serving him. And it's amazing. It really is small beginnings, what God does. Wow. Well, he moves on to a second parable that encourages us, and it should, knowing that God's kingdom will grow until completed. And that is that of the leaven in verses 20 and 21. And, and again, he said to them, to what shall you compare the kingdom of God? That's the rule, the sovereign rule of God on earth. It's like leaven that a woman took, hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leaven. And, and the leaven teaches us of the intensive growth of God's kingdom. That is, it's thorough, thoroughly mixed in. It's hidden, thoroughly mixed. It's, it's a little different than the mustard seed. That's extensive. This is internal, thoroughly mixed within. Just as a little yeast influences the whole batch of dough, so the work of the kingdom is often unseen and nearly imperceptible, yet will have a pervasive transforming influence, emphasizing transforming power. Who would have ever thought that Luther, tacking up his 95 theses on the church door there in, in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, could have imagined that simple act could have changed the world? Who could have ever thought that Hudson Taylor and all that he sacrificed and all that he did going to China as a missionary, beginning the modern missionary, would have had such an impact. I say to you, the gospel, though it had begun small, is, and often the influence is unseen, imperceptible, almost secret, almost hidden, and yet it pervasively works within and extensively transforms and will change. It changes us, it changes churches, it changes the world, and, and, and eventually the kingdom of God will be just as such. In that day, you see, bread was made daily in the home. It's called the, bread is called the staff of what? Staff of life, that's right. And some, some of you remember that, uh, those baking days. Uh, I, I, my, my mom... Uh, no, she didn't, she didn't bake. But Mrs. Rosart across the street, uh, it was baking day. Yeah, are you familiar with that baking day? One day a week baking? Yeah, some of you are. Oh, it was great. Mrs. Did I tell you this before? Anyway, she would bake. 
and the windows would be open. Not to, is there anything as, as great as fresh bread? Holy moly, that in fresh coffee, perky, I'm coming into your kitchen, you know, like, <laughs> where's the butter and jam, right? Everybody, you guys need breakfast, you're like dying, stop, stop. <laughs> but Mrs. Rosa, I think it was Friday, because then they had, and she did donuts, and she did bread, and we'd be hanging around the backyard, just kind of <laughs> begging for a, something, you know, like that. Faith used to that, every Friday, um, when we were in Indiana, uh, she'd make she'd make pizza and she made homemade pizza and she'd put the yeast in and, and it would rise up and the kids would watch that and, and put every all kinds of stuff on it. We had for years right there we had pizza night on Friday night and uh, and you baked uh, baked that and it smelled so wonderful. Oh, well in that day uh, they would bake the bread and it's it was pr- pretty much the flat bread that would rise. Some of you have been over there with us on different study trips, and uh, it's not the loaf bread that you go down to Giant or Wegmans and that. It's that flat bread. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I love it. And, and so Jesus would have seen Mary uh, making it in, in their home. I mean, it was just part of the part of divisional labor, and the ladies would, would, would you know, take care of inside and the food and the meal and that kind of thing. And so he is very used to that baking day. Now, leaven here. Uh, is used in a good sense, not an evil sense. Now, I have to say that because some, some will say, well, why, why is he using leaven? Leaven is, 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 uh, is an evil thing in the Scripture. When the Lord says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, leaven, uh, let me back up and say, leaven uh, can be used for either good or bad. The essence of leaven in its usage means influence. The leaven of the Pharisees was their evil or bad influence. Beware of that. Here, it is the influence of the yeast that is likened to the raising of bread. It's a good thing. If you didn't put that little piece of of, uh, leaven or yeast in there, the bread would not rise. It wouldn't rise. And sometimes you put a piece in, they tell me, and I've never done it, but uh, Faithy did it for a while. You had a little something that had been living for years, and I cut a hunk off, and you put it in, and it leavens the whole new lump. And you keep a little piece back, some of, you, some of you guys, some ladies know, Larry, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's probably it. Sounds good. Are you baking any today? Larry's a, he's a good cook here. Uh, so it's used, in a, it's used in a good sense here, not bad. And it's, the effect is to raise the bread. Now, Jesus' illustration and the amounts that he used, he's telling us of making 50 pounds of bread. Now, that's quite a baking day. Enough to feed, shall we say, 150 people. Well, that's an enormous amount of bread made from a very little amount of leaven or yeast. And that's his point. The relationship between that which is very small. He's saying, look, what you saw in the synagogue, what you saw there in the life was just for a moment, a flash of glory to come. It's the kingdom of God. And it's beginning small, but its influence will be, in, will be intensive. It will thoroughly mix it will reach all. Well, such was Jesus. And I say again to you, who would have guessed that looking at Jesus in his humility, that it was he was a glorious creator? Nobody looked at him. Now, let me just stop, because we all know that, and we go, yeah, I know that. Nobody looked at him saying, well, I bet he's the creator of, of everything. Nobody did. Nobody. It was veiled. Failed. And you know, we sing that. Don't we sing that at Charles Wesley's Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? We sing the phrase, and you'll recognize it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. You see, it's from such a, almost imperceptible, they would not have imagined. He's the creator glory. In fact, John says, everything that is uh, was, was made by him, and nothing that is was not made. It all came from him. He is the creator. In fact, he holds it all together. Yet he stood there, humble in his kenosis as a servant. You go like, what could come from this? What? What? His glory was concealed like leaven. It was hidden. Often the life-giving work of God in the gospel is unseen. Yet little by little the kingdom grows. Who would have guessed it? It grows until eventually it will reach all nations, for this is God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Wow. I say that to you. 
at the cross when the power and the beauty of his sacrifice were hidden by the ugliness of his sufferings and the bloody death. Who could see that Jesus was offering his life as atonement for sin? None of them could see it, not even his mother. So too, the life-giving work of the gospel is often unseen, yet little by little the kingdom is growing. It grows behind closed doors when a sinful man or woman kneels secretly in prayer to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I say the kingdom grows. It grows also when a little boy or little girl promises to love and live for Jesus as their Savior. It grows behind bars when prisoners hear the gospel and respond to it favorably. It grows on the streets of the city when Christians show quiet mercy to people uh, that society is, uh, is often forgotten. And it grows finally in all the lost places of the world where missionaries live out their faith and daily obedience to Jesus Christ. I say to you, it, it grows and it grows. Perhaps you were as surprised as I to read not too many years ago that it uh, was estimated in mainland China that there were over 50 million Christians in that country. We used to call red China, communist China, godless China, and yet bit by bit by bit, the underground church movement secretly, pervasively, in the power of the gospel, reaching men and women. And I dare say, can I say it? I dare say it's probably a stronger, more virile church than the church in the West, the United States of America. I say it is marching on, the work of God. He is finishing what he began. And so I say to you, be encouraged if you're saved. Be encouraged because you're part of something big by God's grace alone, and it's getting bigger, and it will overcome. And I say there is hope here for all of us. Hope. Hope. I even say to you finally that As a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't even imagine what you're going to look like in the days to come. I was thinking about this when I thought about the effect, the tininess of the beginning of the seed of the gospel in our lives individually, where we are and growing in our gospel and sanctification. But where will we be? I mean, if we could take one glimpse of how glorious, you are going to be so beautiful and radiant you can't imagine what God has in, plan, in store. We are but a sad shadow of what he is doing. And he will accomplish it. For his glory, to his end. Praise the Lord. Wow. And as Grace Church, if Jesus waits to return, I imagine in my mind as I think about it, and God calls us home bit by bit, like Charles Colson yesterday. And last week I mentioned a friend of mine, Paul Gibbs, in my class. I go, we're Friday. He went home to heaven on Friday. My age, my Sunday school class, his dad, our teacher. And then Colson, bit by bit, it's like being at the beach. I've used, overused that illustration, but it's like that. We're standing at the beach and we all just want a snapshot. Can't we all ever be here like it is? It will never be that way. I'm of the opinion that that in every regular worship service, it will never be that way again because there will be a difference in who is there. Sometimes pretty close, but always a little bit of difference of who's there, and it will never be the same. And it's a little picture of life as the waves come in, and out goes granddad, and the waves come in, and there goes little baby Johnson, and, and weren't they here, and what happened to him? And it seems like, what? And I think about Grace Church, if the Lord Jesus tarries, which I look for him today, but if he tarries in coming, and the years pass, and I think of the beginning here, here's a people that believed the gospel and trusted God and kept their eyes fixed on him, and the people that come after us, and the little boys and girls that put their faith in Jesus because of uh, Sunday school classes and, and youth that are, 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 are helped to be equipped to live for Jesus in a difficult time in their life and day, and, and for those who will, will uh, lives that are ruined, that will be put back together. I imagine them sitting there saying, well, I don't know who those folks are, but I'm glad that they sacrificed and gave and prayed and believed God, and, and we stand upon their shoulders, and that God would call out pastors and missionaries,
missionaries and teachers and, and all the arts and sciences and people that love Christ first and, and served him with all their life. And we shall greet them someday in heaven. I say to you, small beginnings. You can talk about Apple Computer and, and all that, but if, and if we know anything, companies come and go and come and go and come and go and come and go. But the church marches on. And Jesus will bring about his final end. I will build my church. And that's you and you and you and you and you and what he's doing at Grace. And, and I pray he's raising up other churches. And I pray for other pastors and that the work would march forward. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life? Lessons for our life. Number one, it's on your sheet. So I can add to it a little bit because you have that. Rejoice again as you remember that God's ways are far different from ours. I mean, I would have sent an Air Force One. You, ain't, you, you think that's something? Here comes what? Get ready. Here comes the kingdom. Here comes the Messiah. How would you have sent your son? I don't think that would have been on my short or long list. They don't even know where he is. Where is he? Uh, he takes that, which does not seem to be enough. That's me, and that's you. I mean, look at us, right? Look at us. And he makes it more than enough by his power. He accomplishes uh, his purpose. Often, silently, often behind the scenes, and we want to give him glory. That's why he gives us stories, and Roger's always talking about, uh, we're Gideon's 300. Remember Gideon. You got too many. Send them home. Send them home. 30, oh, no, no, no. You're going to think you did it. Send them home. Send them. They end up with... 300. We're going to charge, attack the Midianites, right? Takes little. The Red Sea crossing, how about that? Now what do we do? You brought us out here to kill us. No, get ready. Stand back and watch the deliverance of the Lord. How about the feeding of the 5,000? Boy pulls out a lunch. 5,000 are fed. Wow. God's ways are not ours. Wow. Number two, be encouraged. For if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are on the victor's side. I don't care what NFL team you support or baseball or any of that. I don't care about it. I'm talking about something supremely important. You're on the victor's side. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8. You are his work. He's preparing you for heaven where you'll serve him forever. Number three, know that if God has saved you from the penalty of your sin, he will finish the work. He always finishes what he starts, unlike us. I mean, well, I didn't see that coming. God always finishes, even from the smallest of beginnings. God knows the beginning and the end and all the means and steps between. Wow, I read that all throughout my Bible. Number four, here's one. Be encouraged as you work hard at serving the Lord. Even in little places, without much visible fruit, be encouraged, I say to you. Maybe you only have, you're, you're working with just one other person. Maybe you have a little Bible study at work or, or maybe uh, in your neighborhood. Or you're like, well, that's, that really, what's that? There's six billion people. Be encouraged. You can't imagine what God can take from it. He delights in taking that which is not enough and making it more than enough for his glory's sake. Don't despise the day of small beginnings or small things. Uh, Franny Schaefer wrote a sermon in his book, No Little People, No Little Places. That is with God. There's no such thing. And so be encouraged. If your, your service for the Lord seems small and insignificant, and Lord, there doesn't seem to be much fruit. I pray and pray and pray. I want thousands, and there's maybe only a few. God knows that. And if you're where you ought to be, God is working. And when you and I present the gospel, the dynamo is in the gospel. It's like throwing a stick of powerful dynamite in into people's lives. They always respond. I think I told you people would say to me sometimes at the door, they'd say, uh, and we used to give invitation to him, come forward. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And people wouldn't come. They'd say, oh, pastor, thanks for preaching your heart out and teaching the word. And I'm so sorry. No one responded. And I said, oh, thank you for your encouragement. But wherever God's word is proclaimed, it's like throwing a stick. There's always a response. God is up to something. He's working always, always. 
So don't quit. Keep at it. God is working, even if you can't see visible evidence of it. And I'll just give an aside to that, because Faithy and I were talking yesterday, because I, I was so late at coming around in my early years and high school years, and, and now they're talking about having a big high school reunion, which we have a wedding that weekend. I won't be able to make it. But Faithy was saying, you know, like, so many of those people in your Sunday school class and your church and all that, they'd be so, like, so surprised that you're even a pastor teacher, that you're a minister. They're like, wow, what happened to him? You know, like, <laughs> I laugh. And you, you don't know how humorous that thought is. But Faith and I have a better idea, and it's all of grace. It's not of this guy. And finally, number five and last, today the door to heaven is still open. Tell people that. Maybe you need to hear that. I love to say that. Someday it's going to be closed. That's a terrible thing. You ever been on a cruise? And they tell you you got to get there at a certain time. Or they close the door. <laughs> when we were on our honeymoon, my father and mother gave us a, a wedding present of a, a little cruise. And we went to Bermuda. And uh, <clears throat> my father actually bribed me. The truth be told. He said, why don't you wait till you're done with college and get married? I want to get married between my junior and senior year. We had been dating a long time. And I go like, well, I don't, I don't want to wait. And I, he said, well, it'd probably be good if you did. And uh, I said, I'd just like to, he said, well, I'll tell you what. If you wait, your mother and I want to give you a good wedding present. And I said, yeah, like what? I want to, I want to know it now, I, right now. <laughs> He said, ah, we get, well, yeah, and then it turned out to be this cruise. Well, when we ended up, we did wait, and we got married. Went on this cruise. When we left Bermuda, Hamilton there, <clears throat> some lady missed the boat. She missed the boat, and they brought her out on a uh, tugboat because we were leaving. They said, you know, it's like you wait for the train, the train waits for no one. Well, the ship, the same deal. And we're out going through the channel, and this, and this tugboat is following us, and this lady's on it, and they're, she's trying to catch up, and, the, you know, the boat's going. And uh, they, they hoisted her up. I mean, half the ship is watching this, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, what's <laughs> Holy cow, and the poor lady had a dress on. Holy cow, remember that there? Dresses over her head. I mean, the wind is blowing. I'm like, she, listen, that's, that's fun. That's, we go like, well, that's a memory, you know. Like, <laughs> Well, maybe not a good memory, but that is a lesson. That is a lesson. Don't miss it. On a serious side, now there is a day when the, when the door will be closed. It will be closed. Come to Jesus today. Tell your friends the day is open. Today, Jesus is the door. Receive him as your Savior. Ah, small beginnings. Boy, that's me. I fit right in there. Lord, there's hope for all of us. Be encouraged, shall we pray. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful word and so encourages us, Lord. We're not much. Your hand is upon us. Bless the work here, Lord, and may the impact be greatly felt in our community as we love people, give our lives to them, as we reach our world, as, as the days unfold so quickly they seem and we await your arrival. We look up. We want to be faithful. Faithful. You're so faithful. Help us to love you increasingly. May our hearts be ever warmed as we read the word and, and, and just ask you to use us each day in at least one person's life. Thank you so much. Open the heart of those here that may not be saved. And as we take this treasure of the gospel as we leave this way, may we share it with others. And may they see the genuine and sincerity of our heart and the love of God and be saved. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.